0: Hello and welcome, my friend. Welcome to the Friday edition of Bible Tract Echoes. I hope your week has been going very well. Well, my Bible is open as it's wont to be as we meet together for our Bible study times. My Bible is open to the book of Titus, Titus in chapter 1. Verses 6 and 7 will be our focus today. Right now, if possible, reach over and pick up your own copy of the Word of God and join me there. Titus chapter 1. And along with your Bible, why don't you? you get something on which you can jot some notes. We are working through our outline of verses uh, five through nine and uh, we'll be giving a couple of key words along the way today. I've got a gospel tract in my hand. Now, just in case you are relatively new to our program, I well, first of all, I hope you do know what a gospel tract is. But just in case you don't, when I talk about a gospel tract, I spell that word T-R-A-C-T, a gospel tract, a short, written presentation of God's plan of salvation. Gospel tracts have been around for hundreds of years. They've been effectively used to communicate the gospel as people read them. The gospel tracts expand our ability to reach more people because we can hand somebody the gospel without having the time necessarily at certain moments in our life to be able to verbalize the gospel. We can give them the gospel through a tract format. I want to talk about one of these here in just a moment. But while you're getting your Bible open, let me lead in toward our Bible study this way. I tend to use our opening statements to hopefully steer our minds toward the passage that we are about to study, and that's our plan today as well. Nineteen days from today, I'll be boarding an airplane my destination will be the country of Cuba. We print tracks inside of Cuba. I'm going to Cuba to look over the track work that's there, but I'll be spending far more time teaching in a church leaders conference and at night preaching in local churches. I'll be preaching the gospel. I'm telling you this for one reason. Did you know that if every pastor In Cuba were arrested on the same day that the churches there already have the next set of leaders in place. These new leaders have been identified, they've been trained, and they are ready. That is a godly, godly plan. We American churches can learn a lot from our Cuban brothers we tend to assume that the next generation of church leaders will automatically appear somehow. That's an assumption. That's dangerous. We need to both know these verses from Titus and then put them into use so that we can have church leaders ready. Join me as we see more of the attributes God says his pastors of local churches need to have. All right? Well, if your Bible's open there, hang on just a minute, because I want to tell you about this particular gospel tract. It's entitled, The Best I Can. The Best I Can. This one is one of my very, very favorite tracks. I use it with young people. I use it with old people. I use it with men. I use it with women. I use it all the time, the best I can. I use it because, number one, it's short and it's quick to read. It's easy to read, but the message in it is so very powerful, and it deals with the fact that people assume they're going to heaven because when it comes to religion and trying to be morally upright, they are doing the best best they can. The problem is that they're not born again. They have no spiritual life in them because they have not received Jesus Christ as Savior. Friend, if you're looking for a powerful tool, this is it. The best I can. You be ready when, at the end of the program, my announcer gives our contact information. If you give us your name and address, we'll send you free of charge a sample packet containing one each of all of our English gospel tracts, including this one, The Best I Can. Or you can just go to our website, which is BibleTracksInc.org. BibleTracksInc.org. If your Bible is open, let me begin reading, please, at verse 5 of chapter 1 of Titus. It says this, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders or pastors in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop, another word for a pastor, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Well, let me just stop reading right there. One more verse in that paragraph, but I'm going to stop with that reading right there. Yesterday, I began to look at verse 6 here and the attributes for a pastor that are seen here. Now, verse 6 tells us that a pastor is to be a family man. Now, does God ever call single men to be pastors? Yes, yes, he does, but they are the exception. We need to be careful about placing a single man into the role of a pastor, I need to say more about that, but time won't allow me. But yesterday as well, we looked at the pastor's marriage. The next thing we are told in verse 6 are these words, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now, some see these verses teaching that a pastor must have children who are all believers. That's how they interpret the verses here, the words here saying faithful children. I don't think we ought to look at it that way. I think instead that the phrase simply means that the pastor's children must be trustworthy. The idea of being faithful in how they live. You see, all the Christian parents are to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We all know that. They are, told, they are to tell their children the gospel, pray over their children to receive the gospel, and urge their children to receive the gospel. But no parent can force their children to believe. All the other traits here for pastors in verses 6 through 9, all of these others, are things that are under the control of the pastor, the man himself. He can, by God's grace, work to see these things come about in his life. But no parent pastor or not, can guarantee the salvation of their children. That's a personal choice by the child. Verse 6 goes on to say that the parenting uh, by the pastor and his wife are to produce children who are under control and know how to lovingly submit to their parents. Thus, they won't be riotous or, or unruly. Those words simply mean that the children are not wild and disobedient. Let me tell you a personal story here. Back in 1985, my wife and I and our two sons, that's all the children we had at the time, we were led by the Lord to go into church planting. There was a small group of believers that were meeting together, and they wanted to see a church established. As we went through the preliminary meeting times with these folk, two other retired men and their wives took our family out to eat two different times. Later on, they told us that the key goal of these meals was not to eat, but was to see how our children acted in public. And beloved, these were wise men. It was a wise thing to do. So verse 6 is about the pastor being a family man. But moving then into verse 7, we see that the pastor now, not only must he be a family man, he needs to be a faultless man. Note, I said faultless, not sinless. There's a difference. The word blameless here at the beginning of verse 7 is the same word that's used there in verse 6. The pastor must be above reproach when it comes to five vices or five crimes of bad character. Let me just quickly begin to tell you what these five vices are and explain them clearly if I can. First of all, verse 7 says he must not be self-willed. This is simply the idea of being arrogant and overbearing and always wanting to have his way. He is not to be obstinate when making decisions and discussing with others the decisions that need to be made. He must be able to be listening to others and, at times when it's right, to surrender his opinion when others are correct. Secondly, we're told in verse 7 that the pastor is not to be soon angry. Simply put, he's not to have a quick temper. He's supposed to be able to keep his cool when it's stressful times or when he's being attacked personally. Now that does happen, trust me, been there, done that. Every pastor has been a pastor for about ten minutes knows what I mean. Over in the book of first Timothy, chapter three, this trade is labeled there as being not being contentious. The third thing of these five here in verse seven is this not given to God wine. Boy, have we opened the Pandora's box here, haven't we? Simply put, the pastor is not to be addicted to strong drink. But you know the debate over Christians and social drinking. I'm sure you do. I hope you are also aware of the significant rise in alcoholism among members of believing families in recent years as the standard about drinking among, ch- among believers has gone down. Notice I said it's gone down. I think when a family who claims Christ is promoting that it's okay to social drink, that they're lowering the standard of God. There might there be a correlation between the lowering of the standard about social drinking among Christians and the rise of alcoholism among believing families. I think there rightly is a correlation. May I lovingly urge you to stay away totally from all intoxicating beverages. The wisdom of God from the book of Proverbs is very simple. It says, don't look on the wine. It goes on to talk about it when it's in the cup and moves and so on. That's found in Proverbs 23, verse 31. Some say to me, yeah, but but Brother Mark, my pastor says, or my favorite other Bible teacher says, or my godly grandfather says, it's okay to drink socially and so on. Friend, I hear this. I've heard it for years. Fine. You you listen to them, but when you stand before God someday— And he asks you why you listen to their wisdom rather than choose to listen to his wisdom. I'm afraid that you're going to find that your reply to God at that point is going to be very sound very, very foolish. Very foolish. Well, what a wonderful note to come here to end our week of broadcast on talking about Christians and social drinking. Friend, We're dealing with the attributes of godly pastors here. As we bring our week to a close, I want you to know this, that one of the greatest things you can do to promote godly pastors is to teach all the people in your church how to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. A great starting point for those in your church who have never done that is to help show them how to use gospel tracts. Again, in just a moment, my announcer is going to come back on and give our contact information. Our motto, our our mission statement for Bible Tracks Incorporated is this, taking the word of God to all the world. This is our 80th year of doing that. So we've added that phrase, taking the word of God to all the world, 80 years and counting. We've been able to do that because God's people have come alongside of us and said we want the gospel to go farther in our world.